Good evening. Welcome one more time to the University of Spiritual Warfare, Bible Code 7, University of Spiritual Warfare. We are delighted to have you on board with us tonight, August the 5th, 2022. Let's get started. The hell of war that's coming. That's our topic tonight. The hell of war that's coming. War is coming, I did teach you. World War III has already started. What is happening right now is not a hot war, but it has already started. started over in the Ukraine. And it's going to get wider and bigger and encompass a great section of the world. The whole world will be affected by it. But the hot spots we're going to talk about tonight. Before I begin... Let me tell you that war is hell. You've heard me tell you that so many times. War is a living hell. War is organized murder. One side organizes and plots and plans to murder the other side, its people. And never worry about collateral damage because some people will fall by the wayside. Women, children, nursing homes, hospitals, no problem. It's called collateral damage. People are the ones that get murdered in war. When people get murdered and killed in war, there's no sympathy for them. There's more sympathy for a stray dog that gets wounded or murdered or killed in a war than for the people that get killed. The war, war planners plan war, not fully knowing the outcome. You see, when the war planners are planning a war, they look at their charts they look at their computers, they look at their uh, analysis, and they plan wars. But what they don't know and understand until they actually see the war is that human bodies and human lives, little children, mothers, expectant mothers, senior citizens will die. And how many people die? No one knows. How much collateral damage and how many things can go astray? No one knows. Let me begin by giving you the scripture, Revelation 6, and the 8th verse. And this is where we begin. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death. Death sat on the pale horse, the only named rider of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Hell followed him. Power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, one-fourth, 25% of the earth. Power was given by God to kill people with sword, with hunger, and by the way, substitute that word with sword, with guns and bullets, bombs, and any and every kind of killing material, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the field. Tonight, we want to take a good look at the geopolitical lineup of nations and the hotspots of World War III that is upcoming. And I have only one descriptive word to use before I get into this information I want to release. It is interesting. All I can say it is very interesting. Since World War II ended in 1945, the U.S. is the single predominant world empire, bar none, up until just about right time, right now. The British 
England is behind the U.S. and the key driver behind it. The Anglo, and I'm calling them the Anglo-American masters of the universe, because England is tied to America, and the ties go way, way back to the days of the colony. The days ties go way back to money. And we've always seen British money and brains and American worldwide military muscle power operate together. America has over 800 military bases worldwide. And we know that the recent plans that were expounded that came on the media, they plan to counter or to contain China. They have labeled China as an enemy of the U.S. I have said so in my third book. China has a weapon of mass destruction. And what is that weapon of mass destruction? 1.5 billion people. That is your WMD. And I did tell you from the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, and I believe it's the 23rd verse, that the fourth beast that will rise will be a crushing beast. The Bible talks about it. The fourth empire, the fourth reign, will be a crushing empire. And I did tell you that that was China. We don't know also, America has designated Russia as another enemy. And America, and this has been a long time uh, goal or plan, their aim is to break up Russia, and that aim is ever since the 1930s. I have seen the information, the videos where the British, they talk about the breakup of Russia. And we do know that after any war, that's when they decide to break up nations. After any war, you have the conquered nations. Because the nations who went to war, the warring side, one has to win and one has to lose most of the time. Sometimes there is an armistice. There is no winner, no stipulated winner. There is no stipulated loser. And there is no treaty, like, for example, North Korea and South Korea. It's an armistice. They stop fighting, but they have no treaty. Now, in the spoils of war, there were conquered nations, the loser nations. For example, in World War II, the loser nations, number one, Japan. We remember Japan came into and bombed Pearl Harbor. And after they bombed Pearl Harbor, America entered World War II. Well, Japan was totally decimated. I did teach you before that two bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They were the first nuclear bombs. They were nicknamed Fat Boy and Little Boy. And they were nuclear bombs that decimated thousands of people one time in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I believe it was 75,000 people. And then the smaller one, Nagasaki, it was approximately 50, 30 to 50,000 people perished and died right away. So Japan was one conquered nation by America. The next nation in Europe was Germany. Germany was conquered and is still conquered today. Then now we have a South Korea. 
There was a war between South Korea and North Korea. North Korea was a communist nation. North Korea invaded South Korea, and they fought back. And what happened was there was no winner. It was an armistice. So you have North Korea, very sparsely uh, developed, and South Korea, very highly developed, very highly protected, with approximately 29,000, 30,000 American soldiers. I call Germany, I call Japan, and I call South Korea colonies of the U.S. Japan, Germany, South Korea. In other words, they are conquered territories. And you've got to understand that conquered territories from the biblical days, they don't have their free range or their free say-so to do as they please. Conquered territories, conquered after World War II, Japan, Germany, and I told you about South Korea back in the, in the, in the 50s, they are territories that America goes into. America has troops there, 20 to 30,000 troops in Germany, many air bases, military, Japan, as well as South Korea. So they are virtually colonies of America. We are to understand that these are going to be some hot spots during the war, the coming war. Now, the Soviet Union came down, and the Soviet Union was a mighty empire, very, very big empire. Well, the Soviet Union was broken up in 1991, and the remnant after the Soviet Union was broken up is now called Russia. So Russia is now the geographical mainland, and all the satellite countries that were around them on the east and the south, and even possibly uh, part of the West, they have been given up by Russia. So what we see happening now, Russia has not been conquered, but America wants Russia to act as if it has been conquered. And we see that Anglo-Americans wants to put Russia in the position where they can break it up, they can balkanize it. Learn that word. They can balkanize Russia. And they want to break up Russia into four or five or six different smaller segments so they can get the resources. And Russia now is saying, no way. Now, we are to take a look and see what's going on here. Because when you look at China in the Far East, the history of China was one where the British and the French, because of colonialism, went into China. China was weak, didn't have much of a military. And the little military they had, they fought with swords and spears. Uh, British and the, and the French, they had guns and bullets. That's when America conquered the Indians also. In the 1800s, they came with guns and bullets. And they fought against uh, China. And they subdued China. China virtually became a colony. So there was a colonial subjugation of weak, gentle China. And this uh, was a period of time when it was known as the Opium 
wars. British grew opium over in India, uh, poppy seeds. Then they manufactured opium, and they found a market in China. So they started selling opium to the Chinese. What did that do to the Chinese? It made the Chinese drug addicts. So in other words, the British and even the French were the first drug dealers in the whole world. They sold opium to the Chinese, and the Chinese dynasty, the ruling dynasty, said, we don't want that, and they wanted to make it illegal. The British, because they had power on their side, they said, no, we want to sell to anybody. Anybody who wants to use us or buy from us, free market. And there was a war. So there were two opium wars. And in the meantime, in the interim, millions of Chinese died. They became worthless because of opium. They, they hung around and they ate and they smoked opium. They didn't produce. They hung around. So the whole nation of China, with millions of people at that time, they didn't have as large a population. They suffered. But they never forgot, listen carefully, they never forgot the subjugation, the colonialization by the British and even the French. Millions of Chinese became worthless. So we've got to understand that. I'd like you to go home uh, when you have an opportunity. Take a look on the Internet and research the opium wars. And if you can read and see the the story behind it, and don't just take one story. See what happened. It would be great information so you know what's going on because a lot of history is being hidden nowadays. Now, China is returning the favor to the West by shipping fentanyl. Don't know if you ever heard of fentanyl. I wrote about that in my third and uh, my second and third books. How many people, over 100,000 people are dying in America from what? Fentanyl use. Where they get the idea to ship drugs, make drugs and ship it to a country? They got it from the opium wars. Okay? So they're doing a payback. All right? So now you have China over in that region. We're going to take a look at China. And we're going to look at Japan. Japan is a colony of America. Naval bases, submarine bases, air bases over in Japan. They have everything over there. Japan was over there to contain China. Now, the Japanese hate the Chinese, and the Chinese hate the Japanese with an even more passionate hatred. There were very many wickedness and very many evil atrocities done to the Chinese by the Japanese. Over one, one atrocity was over 300 people just mowed down, gunned down, mercilessly, ruthlessly. The women were raped. The women were enslaved and raped by the Japanese. China was a very backward country. I wouldn't say backward, but very gentle country. And what China learned how to do under Mao Zedong, and I'm not approving of Mao, Mao came and he taught the Chinese how to fight back. But the Chinese, they hate, they despise the Japanese with a passion because of the atrocities that was done to the Chinese people. So you have the Japanese over that side. You have Korea a little bit over to the 
the western portion of it, and those two countries, between them, they have approximately 50 to 60,000 American troops, military bases, and they are supposed to contain China. So when a war breaks out, I want you to know and understand that that will be a hotbed. Not only the Japanese, but they also have the Korean. Now you have North Korea. North Korea, we know with King Jong Jong Un is there. Kim Jong Un is a proxy for the Chinese. So when the war breaks out, the whole area is going to go up in flames. Right beside China, with 1.5 billion people, you have India with 1.4 billion people. India is a nuclear nation. So is China, a nuclear nation. And by the way, China has, it is said, over 300 warships rivaling the American amount of warships, which is over 200 and something. So China has become a very powerful naval power. So these are the hot spots I want to point out to you that war is going to be there. Now, on the other side of the south of China, to the southeast, or to the south, uh, yes, to the south, no, to the, yeah, to the southeast of China a little bit, you have Australia. Australia was a penal colony. In other words, Australia was a big area, but it was a hostile territory because most of Australia is not habitable. And what the British used to do, because they were the world's empire, they used to take all their prisoners, all the no-good people from England, and they would take them down to Australia, and they'd drop them off down there, and they would be in like a prison down there, and they left them down there. They were not fit to stay in England. So now you know the history, the DNA, spiritual DNA of the Australians. They were like murderers, thieves, scoundrels. They took him down there. They left some women down there. They left the men down there. And that's where the Australians come from. The DNA of the Australians is murder, evil, wickedness, thieves. And that's who you have down there. So we're looking at all these areas where Australia is coming into alignment with America. America, Australia, Japan, Korea, South Korea. And we look in those three primary areas and we look at China. And we know that India is wary of China because India and China fought at one time. But we never know what will happen when a geopolitical uh, incident breaks out like a war. Because you see, no nation likes to go to war. And no nation, if they're not attacked, they will say, we'll stay out of it. It's none of our business. But if you attack us, we will attack you. So... That's a hot spot in that area. And not to mention again, North Korea. North Korea is a wild card in that area. So we do know that those areas will have a very, uh, very explosive flashpoint when a war breaks out because it's all in the countering of China. Now, remember I told you Germany is a conquered colony. After World War II, Germany was conquered. 
They couldn't do certain things. They were defeated. Germany is allowed to establish armed forces for solely defensive purpose. But your armed forces is limited to the German army. Certain amount of soldiers and Navy and certain amount of Air Force. The Germans can make tanks. They can make weaponry. But they are limited in what they can do. And America, again, has about 25 to 30,000 soldiers stationed in Germany. They have many air bases, of which one of the biggest air bases is Ramstein Air Base over in Germany. So now we look at Germany and we see what Germany is. And remember, Germany was a conquered nation. So Germany is like a colony. And Germany is right there. And around Germany, you have France, you have Spain, Portugal, and you have many other little countries like Poland, Hungary, and Romania. Uh, well, Czechoslovakia is no longer, uh, Yugoslavia is no longer a country. They broke up Yugoslavia and made three nations out of it. That's what, what, that was what NATO did. But now we have a conglomeration of different countries in Europe, and they're all called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. All the NATO nations, including England, which is a little island across the channel, the English Channel, not a big island. England, of course, is made up of uh, uh, England, Ireland, and Wales, it's a conglomeration of them, but on the island of England, you have about maybe 50 million people, 50, 55 million people. And this is what England was, but they ruled the seven seas at one time, and they had colonies. So they know what it is to colonize. I taught you before that one of the longest lasting uh, uh, empires was Britain, 250 years not only Britain, but Spain, 250 years. And then the Ottoman Empire, 250 years. And America was 245 years so far. How long before America goes, before it reaches 250, we don't know. But we can see the handwriting on the wall. Because all this here is going up to a world war. So now you have in Europe, surrounding Germany, the NATO nations. And all these NATO nations, they are what you call voluntary, I call them voluntary colonies. Germany is a colony because it was conquered, it was subdued in World War II. So they have no say-so. They're ruled and they're dominated, they have no say-so. That's the spoil of war. So even though they're a nation, they're dominated and they're told what to do and how to do it, just like Japan. Now, all the NATO countries around there, they enticed to join what is called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and they voluntarily, voluntarily joined. So the Anglo-American, England and America, has all these voluntary colonies in NATO, and which is what we're going to see is that, uh, 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 that these nations here are on the flank are on the western side of Russia. They have what they call a counterbalance to Russia. Now, the current Ukraine war that has started, that's the fuse that has lit everything, 
is on the south side of Russia. And if we remember, uh, Russia took over Crimea. They had a referendum, and they said the people wanted to come over to Russia because most of the people in Crimea, they were Russian-speaking. And not only were they Russian-speaking, they were Russian nationalities. And in Ukraine, on the east side of Ukraine, the Donetsk and the Luhansk area, and even down in Odessa, those people are primarily Russian-speaking people. They're Russian descendants. So where Russia is fighting in Ukraine right now, you find those people are being liberated because they're Russian. And whereas Ukraine was persecuting those people, they were killing them. 14,000 people since killed, 14,000 ethnic Russians killed since 2014. So now we are going to see what's going on in, in Ukraine. There is that war going on over in Ukraine. And, America, and Russia is virtually grinding down that area, martyr shelling that area. And there is virtually no resistance. Ukraine is losing. And they're losing territory. And they're losing thousands of men, maybe hundreds of thousands of men. But they're still being pushed to the front line. And from my reading of what's going on on the front line, these men are like cannon fodder. As soon as they go out to fight, they're just mowed down. They're just killed. They're just dead. They're just killed off. Their dead bodies lie as dung on the ground. And they're just killed. And they just keep sending men, and the Russians are just killing them. Because you see what's going on. There is a war. War is hell. It's organized murder. So now you have all this area belonging to NATO. And NATO, which... Uh, Ukraine was not a part of NATO, but NATO is organized against Russia. And now we see that hotspot because any minute now, Ukraine, something could happen between the Ukraine and Russia. We're fighting a hot war. And they say, well, listen, you did this. You used some chemicals or you used some biological warfare. You used some stuff like that. And anything could go hot any time and that would bring in nato nato is a block that if you touch one you touch all it's all for one and one for all so we know that at the right time they'll find some kind of a trumped up excuse and they'll go at russia and this is where it's at right now so that entire europe the entire european area and i told you the history of europe hostile warlike so they said they come and they give uh they give civilization to the world, but they give war to the world. When I went to university, 1969, one of my first courses was history, European history. And when I started looking at the history of Europe and how many wars there were and how many people were fighting each other, I said, my God, these people don't have nothing else to do but fight. And the different dynasties. And when you look at it, all wars. When you go back to my English uh, history, you learn about the, well, they got my name, the Normans. Those came from England, and they were always fighting wars, and they went over the English Channel, and they went over to France uh, when you just crossed the Channel, and they fought wars over there. So Europe was always fighting wars. And the two world wars that started, where did they start? World War I was started in Austria, in Sarajevo, 
that's the way we get the Archduke Ferdinand moment from. And then World War II was started between Germany attacking its neighbors under Adolf Hitler. So the wars, both world wars, began in Europe. The Third World War might begin also in Europe. As a matter of fact, it did begin. That's between Russia and Ukraine. And what we're going to see, because they have a plan to fight Russia and win over Russia, conquer Russia, and break up Russia because of its size and its resources. Russia has a tremendous amount of gas, natural gas, oil, land for, for farming, has a tremendous amount of mineral resources. All across where it goes up in the North Pole region, tremendous amount of resources. Russia covers 11 time zones. That's how big Russia is. You could take Russia and you put it and it would fit inside of Africa. Russia is almost as big as the entire continent of Africa. That's how big Russia is. So this is what they're fighting to do, break up have colonial rule, divide, and conquer Russia. So the hot spots are going to be all of Europe, including England. And it's going to be all over in that region between Russia and then over to the east, the Middle East, not the Middle East, or the Far East, between North Korea, South Korea. Of course, there's going to be China, possibly India in the Malay, but definitely Japan because of bad blood. So now we come from there, we're going to come to the Middle East. When we talk about the Middle East, we talk about Israel. Everybody knows Israel. We also want to talk about Iran. Iran is one of the key places where everybody is pointing their finger at because they want to conquer Iran. When you look at the history of Iran, Iran has never really been conquered. Never been. Iran is a country, the Bible calls it the Medes and the Persians. Iran is primarily the Persians, and the Medes were the north of Iran to the northwest of Iran. So the Medes are there. The Bible still talks about the Medes that God is going to raise up to come against Babylon, which is America in the, in the last days, and they will conquer Babylon. There will be a conglomeration of nations. But in the interim, Israel is looking to attack Iran and decimate Iran. Israel has uh, nukes. It is said that Iran does not have nukes or is about to acquire a nuke, and they're trying to stop Iran from getting nukes. So there's going to be that flare-up between Iran and Israel. Now, we've got to remember that America has always... Uh, had a conquered nation. And there's another conquered nation in the middle of the Middle East called Iraq. You remember Saddam Hussein. They said that he had weapons of mass destruction. I remember Colin Powell when he went before the United Nations Commission and he had a little vial of white powder and he says, this is anthrax. And they're making anthrax to poison the world. And when they finally conquered Iraq and they hung Saddam, 
and they had everything in Iraq, nothing was found, no WMDs. Iraq is a conquered nation. And Iraq, with all of its oil resources, the people are starving and the people are, are, are uh, in dire straits right now. So what they're doing, because Iran and Iraq share a border, when they go in, America has many military bases in Iraq, but when they go in, they're looking to go into Iran. And there's going to be war because the Iraqi people are going to rise up. The Iranian people are going to be warring against it. And there's going to be that conflagration in the Middle East. And the war is going to be between Syria. It's going to be between Israel. It's going to be between Iran and Iraq. That whole area is going to go up in flames. Now, what we've got to know is that these nations are Muslim nations primarily. And even though there is a deal made, the Abraham Accords between, say, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, UAE, and Israel, there's no guarantee of loyalty to that deal. Why is that? Well, let me say it as my grandmother always said, blood is thicker than water. Okay? The Muslim nations, for example, Saudi Arabia, there might be two different branches of Islam. Saudi Arabia is, for, is and Qatar and UAE and Bahrain, those, those people are Shia. Oh, I beg your pardon, they are Sunni Muslims. Iran and Iraq are what they call Shia Muslims, two different types of uh, Muslims. They have two different things, but they're Muslims anyway. I hope you get that. There might be different sections of Islam, two different, but they believe in Allah anyway. And don't ever forget, blood is thicker than water. So my granny always tell me. My granny always said, here, a cockroach has no business in a foul fight. Because if you get a cockroach in the middle of a foul fight, the fowls will turn around and eat the cockroach for breakfast. And the cockroach will be gobbled up and gone. And the chickens will go their ways happy and go lucky. So there's no guarantee of loyalty in that area. But I want to point out the hot spots. This is their old religions. And greater than any new coalition, the Abraham Accords formed the sons of Ishmael may quarrel and fight among each other, but they are still united by sonship. The sons of Ishmael are still sons of Ishmael. They might quarrel, they might fight, Shia and Sunni Muslim, they might fight and have their differences, but guess what? They are still Muslims. They still worship Allah. Okay? Just want you to know that. Now, I want you to show you the whole Middle East. Because to the north of Israel, there's a country called Lebanon. To the east, the northeast of Israel, there is Syria. Damascus, Syria. One of the oldest places in, in the whole wide world is Damascus, Syria. 
All Syria is known as the Mesopotamia. That's where civil, civilization began. The Tigris River and the Euphrates River. It's in the Bible. In Genesis 1, you can see all that. Or Genesis 2, you can see all that. So you have Lebanon, you have Syria, you have Palestine inside of Israel to occupy the areas in Israel. Then you have south of Israel going down towards Egypt. You have what is called the Sinai Peninsula. They used to walk from Israel, they used to walk across the Sinai Peninsula, and they could walk over into Egypt. Now you can't do that because of the, the, uh, the, 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 the canal, the Suez Canal. Ships go across it. So you can't walk across anymore. But what I want to point out to you, there is a group called Hezbollah. These are forces loyal to Iran. These are what you call militant Muslim forces. And they have a tremendous amount of entrenched military forces in Lebanon, Syria, and in Palestine, West Bank, and Gaza. They're there. They're in the Sinai Peninsula. They got underground places that they store weapons and missiles. So anytime something happens in that region, there's going to be a tremendous conflagration. Tremendous. And we do know what the Bible says. And we know whenever a nation rises up against God, God will punish that nation. And we know that with what's going on here, I'll get to that in a minute, that Israel is going to be severely punished because it's in the Bible. It tells us what's going to happen because Israel has sinned against God. So we do know all these things are coming to a forefront. The trigger has already been pulled. The war is going on. It is not blazing. Not yet. But it will come to a blaze. Now, We'll get to something here in a minute. So again, North and South Korea will war viciously. North Korea has nothing to lose. North Korea is backward. They have millions of people. Most of their people are warlike. They have weaponry. They spend all their money virtually on warfare materials, rockets, weaponry. South Korea is a very highly developed country. It has everything to lose. It has industry, skyscrapers, buildings. It has a tremendous amount of Christians, but they have everything to lose. North Korea has nothing to lose. So if they attack South Korea, and this is one of the things about warfare, when people have lost everything and they have nothing to lose, they're more vicious. Do you understand that? I want you to understand warfare now. When a country has nothing to lose, they're more vicious. That's why we Christians are so vicious in warfare. We have nothing to lose. We have lost everything. Paul the Apostle says, what? Everything I have, I count it as what? Dung that I may gain Jesus Christ. That's how we war. We war from a position of victory. We war in true and by Jesus. That's why the Bible says we, in him we live and move and have our being. We have nothing to lose. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We don't care about gold and silver and diamonds, houses and land and all that kind of stuff. No. Filthy paper that they print and call money? No. So in South Korea, they have everything to lose because they have such great wealth. North Korea 
have nothing to lose. North Korea wants to reunify with South Korea. And this is where they stand. They see South Korea as a way of reunification, just like China wants to reunify with Taiwan. They want it to be peaceful, but even today they're firing missiles and they say if it has to be hostile, so be it. But we are going to reunify. We're going to have a one China with Taiwan as our possession. So we are seeing, again, China versus Japan. It's going to be an all-out brawl as the hatred explodes against each other. China, again, has 1.5 billion people, nuclear-armed. Japan, protected by America, but nuclear arms are there also. So we are seeing that these areas are going to go up in flames. So these are the hotspots you've got to look out for. Now, I want to teach you something about war again. War is not a one-sided affair. Never look at the big dogs in the war. Always remember that in every war, they have what is called retaliatory strikes. I'm reading about what's going on in Russia, in Ukraine, and the Ukrainians. Every so often, they have what is called a retaliatory strike. So even though Russia might be invading and winning, Every so often, little, little Ukraine, they retaliate, and they get a couple blows in. There is what is called asymmetrical warfare. In other words, let me give you a little story. There was a guy I knew way back when. I heard about this man. I heard this man say the same thing. He was a very short man. He was like a little guy who was like a midget. And he looked, and he said, a big man can come and beat me up. But he says, listen, you can beat me up all you want to, but listen. And he pulled out a little uh, knife out of his pocket, and he, he advertised himself. And he says, you see this little knife right here? He says, I'm a short man. I'm close to the ground. So a big guy can come and grab me and beat me up and hit me. But you see, being I'm short, the first thing I'm going to do is go for my knife. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go for your foot. I'm short. I'm close to the ground. I'm going to go for your foot. And when I go for your foot, I'm going to take my little knife, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to cut your Achilles heel, your heel string. And that's all I want to do. You can beat me. You can give me a couple of head blows, but I'm going to go after your Achilles heel, and I'm going to cut your heel string. And once I cut it, I must get up and I'm going to run. But when I run, you might be a bigger man. You cannot run because you can't stand up. You cannot walk. I will heal. I will cut your Achilles heel. And I'll hamstring you. You will never walk again. That foot will never be any good. And that's asymmetrical warfare. You seek the weak points, the Achilles heel of your enemy. And if you have to go to behind enemy lines and fill them with the Trojan horsemen, you will do so. And anything you can go and infiltrate a nation and do, you will do it. 
These are biblical strategies. When you read the Bible, you will see that happens. And this is what they're going to do, asymmetrical warfare. The bitter hatred of war runs blood and life deep. Don't you ever forget that. Again, war is hell. Organized murder. And you must understand that everything about war is deceptive. And even though you might be a big nation and you're coming over to fight a little nation, the little nation might fill you with people and they might do some serious, serious damage inside that big nation. They will do anything to get back because you see, war is hell. Jeremiah 50, verse 32. It talks about the most proud shall stumble and fall. He's talking about Babylon here. No one shall raise him up. And he talks about I'll kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all around him. What is God saying here? God's saying that in the, in the cities of Babylon, fires will be kindled. Fire. He will kindle a fire. It will devour all around and about him. Now, when I began to study this uh, scripture and I look, I know in the time when Jeremiah wrote this, they were talking about a fire in the cities. They could set things on fire, wooden buildings, that kind of stuff. But nowadays, you can't set concrete buildings on fire. So when I looked and I began to ponder deep in the scripture into 2022, I began to see nuclear, dirty bombs. Hmm? A couple of years ago, Janet Napolitano, she made some speeches and talked some things about dirty bombs, dirty nukes. And I never forget what she said. Somebody with a dirty bomb could let that dirty bomb off in Washington or any place in America. And that place where she said it would be let off, that place would become radioactive. No one could live there. Everyone would have to leave that area. I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all around him. If a fire is kindled from a nuclear bomb, a blast, a real nuclear bomb, a bomb sets off fire, and it sets it off in a circular fashion. So within a five-mile radius, or depending on how large the bomb is, certain things would be destroyed. But then if you go out 10 miles, certain things would not be destroyed, but you'd find fires, fires all around. And those fires from a 10-mile radius will go out and catch fire to 15-mile, a 20-mile radius, until those fires burn out. So when we look and we see these things here, we've got to remember that there is what is called asymmetrical warfare. A nation that cannot defeat you because you're too mighty. They will do anything to bring you down. The southern border of the United States of America is open. Anybody and everybody can walk right across. Who's coming across? No one knows. This is not JFK or Miami Airport, where you've got to present documentation, a visa, passport, and they know who you are. They search you. They check your luggage and your baggage, your backpack, see what you're coming across with. Anybody can come across the southern border. Do they have nuclear bombs, dirty bombs? No one knows. But I listen to the experts. 
I hear what Janet Napolitano said, and I put it to memory. And people, when they can't get you one way, they'll get you another way. What are you saying? I'm saying this. When a war starts, when it starts over on that side of the world, we're not going to be sitting on your big screen TV and watching it like we watch Gulf War One and Gulf War Two. There's going to be asymmetrical warfare. I was reading today, and in the report I was reading, it says the busiest time in America is 2 p.m. Not in the morning, people going to work. No, not the evening, people coming from work, but 2 p.m. And I said, why 2 p.m.? Most people start work at 7. They finish at 3. Most people leave, and about 2 o'clock, they're going into work to start at 3, 3 to 11 shift. So you have an overlapping shift at 2, two o'clock. The busiest time at any point of the day in most cities. This is what you call the peak business hour. And any and every terrorist who study anything, and this is what I was reading, they will know that anything they have to do, they will do it at 2 o'clock, where they're going to start a, some kind of a terrorist activity. They will do it at 2 p.m. They will use their weapons at 2 o'clock, injuring and killing. More than the shrapnel and the burns, it will injure and kill most people, maximized at 2 p.m. Most of the cities, the downtowns, will be attacked because you see people leave the suburbs and they go downtown and once they go downtown they have to go back to work and you have a two overlapping shifts people leaving for the three o'clock shift to go into downtown and people just about get re getting ready to leave the downtown to go home to be home for their evening so you have this crunch time where two o'clock is the busiest time or even two to three o'clock and if they decided to do something you know what they will cause in the metropolitan areas it will cause to be triggered the greatest factor in any kind of war or terrorism and what is that that's the panic factor people panic people become irrational accidents will happen traffic jams will happen because people are panicking millions of people will panic people will be trying to get out of the areas those who are going to work will say no I'm turning around I'm trying to get back out those who are at work will try to get out the highways will be jammed as again, accidents will happen. Cars will be dead on the road. And anyone who is doing an asymmetrical warfare, they will know how to do these things. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that if a war starts over in Europe, over in the Middle East, over in the Far East, don't believe you can sit here, wherever you are, in America, or Canada, and it won't affect you. This is a worldwide war. And the only nations that probably won't be uh, uh, affected 
other nations that have nothing to do with worldwide affairs. Maybe the little islands down in uh, uh, Jamaica, uh, Santo Domingo, Haiti, you know, uh, Aruba, those little islands. They, they don't have anything to do with anything. Maybe uh, places down in Central America, you know, certain countries in Latin America, they won't be attacked because, you see, they don't have anything to do with international affairs. But understand, all these nations will be affected. The repercussions of war will be worldwide because the interconnectedness of the nations of the world. Ponder this for a moment. The financial markets around the world will begin to implode. Anything happening, the financial markets will implode. And one of the first places, I taught you this before, that where they're going to after, they went after it before, they'll do it again, Wall Street. And if you do anything with Wall Street, you're affecting the entire world. I taught you this. The city that rules over the kings of the earth, New York City, through the United Nations, Wall Street, money, trading, the bond markets, stock market, NASDAQ, everything of that nature. It's all there. And if you stop Wall Street, all the financial markets around the world will begin to implode because everything is tied to Wall Street. That's the head. There'll be tremendous loss of financial capital and financial power through the destruction of, let's say, New York, L.A., Chicago, or somewhere of that, those big cities. Confidence will be tumbling. The markets, banks will be shuttered. Because, you know, uh, there's an old saying, big fish eat little fish, and little fish eat littler fish. Well, little fish, little teeny fish look to the bigger fish. Can I get a loan from you? And big fish looks to bigger fish. Can I get a loan from you? And that's how the borrowing chain goes. And I've taught you before that just about every nation on the face of the earth is a D-E-B-T-O-R nation. Every nation is in debt, D-E-B-T. And there's a debt, D-E-B-T chain. So the banks will be shuttered. There'll be money chaos worldwide. There'll be ATM bank runs. So even though a nation, a country, a little island might not have any problem with being attacked, it will feel the repercussions because of the interconnectedness of the nations of the world. Money is like blood running through the veins. And when you shut down one area, you're going to shut down the entire area. That's why the world is in what is in. Russia was sanctioned, and there was now the counter-sanctions. Russia says, we're not going to ship oil. We're not going to do this. And all of a sudden, supply and demand. You're paying 4 or $5 worth, uh, per gallon for oil. Everything has gone crazy, price-wise. And uh, as a result of this, many currencies will become worthless because they don't have the financial wherewithal. Many countries are on the edge of bankruptcy, financial ruin. And in the meantime, the another area you want to ponder is the heads of state and militaries will be bracing themselves for further attacks. 
and the heads of finance will wonder aloud if the world's reserve currency, the U.S. dollar, has just lost its value. Why? Normal has become abnormal. Everything is chaotic. And if you have the loss of the financial world's reserve, the world's reserve currency, America, through a war, it might not lose its entire value, but it might be destabilized and lose a tremendous amount of its value. So I just want to let you know that what you're looking at from wars is global depression. A global depression is very, very imminent. Look at Revelation 18 and verse 11. And it says, The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, meaning Babylon. No man buys their merchandise anymore. No one can buy their merchandise because Babylon will, won't, will not have money to purchase anything. The world's economy will be in shambles. Well, what will you do? What will you do then? Are you prepared? This teaching is to inform you what's to come because this is in the Bible. Bible Code 7, which is what we promote here, will unlock the real you. How will it unlock you? You will not fear because once you begin to use the strategy of Code 7 warfare, fear will depart from you. Instead of being a pussycat, little timid scaredy cat, you'll become a lion because the lion of the tribe of Judah will be in you. You will realize and you will unlock your full potential. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And it's not that you don't have that great potential in you. It's in you. There's a reservoir of power and strength in you that you have not yet tapped into. But you can't tap into it without Jesus. You cannot tap into it without using the strategy to get you in there. Bible Code 7 unlocks your safety and your safekeeping, your welfare and your well-being. Bible Code 7 prepares you and keeps you calm in the midst of your storm, keeps you ready, keeps you armed, and it keeps you shielded. What is Bible Code 7? Bible Code 7 is the weaponizing of the word of the living God. Whereas when you weaponize the word, just as the Bible says, utilizing the sword of the Spirit, the mighty weapons through God to pull down any and every fortress, any and every stronghold, you cannot lose and you cannot fail. It's in the Bible. It's in the book. We believers, you see, we play the long game. What's a long game? We're in this thing for the long haul. We're not in this thing for a quick 100-yard dash, quick little sprint. No, we're in a marathon because our boss says so. Jesus told us we're called to endurance. He says, you and you and you who believe in me must endure until the very end and thereby be saved. That's the long game. We're in this thing for the long haul. We must endure to the end, for we shall be, will be, must be saved. I want to leave you with this scripture from Job, the fifth chapter. 
And you're going to see Bible Code 7 unpacked in this scripture. And all these scriptures are in the Bible. It's there. What is it here for? Because you see, the word is not for dead people. The word is for living people. Dead people ain't got no more problems. Living people got the issues of life that we got to go through. We got to endure. A dead person cannot endure, okay? Listen to what Jesus said. Listen to the Bible. Don't listen to some crazy preacher. Dead people cannot endure. They are already dead. Living people must endure. And no matter what kind of scaredy cat you are, you will endure until Jesus returns. Job 5. It says, cry for help. But will anyone answer you? Which of the angels will help you? Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen that fools may be successful for the moment, but then comes sudden disaster. God don't like to deal with fools. That's what he's mean. he means to tell us here. He says, their children are abandoned far from help. They are crushed in court with no one to defend them. The hungry devour their harvest, even when it is guarded by brambles. The thirsty pant after their wealth. But evil does not spring from the soil. Trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. Did you hear that? Talks about a fool. Of course you can be a fool. And uh, you know some believers are fools. They're novices. They don't know what, how to be wise. They don't study to show themselves approved unto God. The Bible says my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. So here you have the scripture telling us that a person can choose to stay a fool. And what's going to happen? And he tells us here that trouble, evil does not spring from the soil. It doesn't come from the ground. It does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly up from a fire. But how do you overcome trouble? He gives the directions, the solutions, and answers right here. Look at verse 8, Job chapter 5. Write it down. If I were you, I would go to God and present my case to him. He does great things, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. He gives rain for the earth and water for the fields. He gives prosperity to the poor and protects those who suffer. He, God, frustrates the plans of schemers. So the work of their hands will not succeed. He traps the wise in their own cleverness. So their cunning schemes are thwarted. They find it is dark in the daytime. And they grope at noon as if it were night. He rescues the poor from the cutting words of the strong. Listen to that. He rescues the poor from the cutting words of the strong. Words, curses, hexes, spells. Judgment words of the strong. And rescues them from the clutches of the powerful. And so at last the poor have hope. And the snapping jaws of the wicked are shut. Whoa! At last the poor has hope. I want to let you know there's hope for you. 
Whatever your condition and your situation is, there's hope for you. The Bible says here the snapping jaws of the wicked. God says, I'll shut that jaws. Huh? Consider the joy of those corrected by God. Consider the joy of those taught by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. For though he wounds you, he also bandages you. He strikes, but his hands also heal. And you know, when I look at the scripture in 1988, I was wounded. I was put in a mixed basket of the devil. And I didn't know what God was doing to me. Now I realize the scripture. The Lord told me that. He wounded me, but he bandaged me. He struck me, but his hands healed me. He allowed me to go into Satan's lair, and meet the meat grinder. But he showed me how to overcome the devil's ordeals. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He gave me Bible Code 7 and told me, Norman, do this. Use this strategy. This is how you overcome. And I did. And this is how I stay ahead of the devil. This is how I put the devil under my feet. And this is what I'm teaching you because I want to see your story change. Verse 19, Job 5, it says, From six disasters he will rescue you. Even in the seventh, he will keep you from evil. He will save you from death in time of famine. What did you say? He said, the word of God says, God will save you from death in time of famine. From the power of the sword, guns and bullets in time of war. Is that the word? Well, I'm reading from a Bible. Job 5, verse 20. 21 says, he, you will be safe from slander and have no fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine. Wild animals will not terrify you. You will be at peace with the stones of the field and its wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your home is safe. When you survey your possessions, nothing will be missing. You will have many children. Your descendants will be as plentiful as grass. You will go to the grave at a ripe old age. Hmm. Like a sheaf of grain harvested at the proper time. Ah, that sounds familiar. Psalm 91:16. With long life I'll satisfy you and show you my saving grace. Woo. A good correlation right there. We have studied life and found all this to be true. Verse 27, Job 5, listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. This is the word of the living God. Let the heathens rage. Let the nations that have devised wicked schemes against God. Let them rage. All of those schemes will fail and they will fall. My protection is unlocked. I am a saint. I'm a child of God. My protection is unlocked through Jesus Christ and Bible Code 7, the weaponizing of the word of the living God. I can't touch you because that's what Jesus said. And if you don't believe it, and this is the greatest thing I want to leave you with tonight, I want you to go and understand that the greatest problem with believers today they're weak and emaciated. 
They don't believe that it can happen for me. They don't believe it can happen for them. They believe that Jesus, you can do things and you do it for the blind man. You can do things and you do it for David. You can do it for Jeremiah. You can do it for Elijah. But I don't believe you can do it for me. That's the greatest lie the devil has ever told people. And this is what blocks and hinders most Christians' blessings. That's why many young Christians, many baby Christians, many senior Christians serving the Lord for 40, 50 years, they don't amount to anything. They get to be one way and they get locked in that way because they don't believe that the Lord can do it for them. I want to change you and I want to change that thinking. I want to reach you, I want to change your thinking, but I want to reach a generation. I want to revolutionize a young people, a young generation. I want to tell you something. Jesus can do it for you. What he has done for others, he can, can and he will do for you. Code 7 is a strategy. I was speaking with a young man and encouraging him today, and I was telling him, I said, listen, between the promises of God and the manifestation of God, before it's manifested in your life, the promises and the manifestation comes strategy. You need a strategy to get it. How do you get your healing? How do you get your wellness? How do you get the blessings that God promised you? Bible Code 7 is the way. Bible Code 7 unlocks you, your thinking, unlocks all that thing that has blocked your mind, that make you believe God cannot do it for you. I had a recent testimony from a young lady, emailed to me, and I was jumping for joy. Because you see, she found it, she got it. And when I looked at her, I said, my God, I hope God, just give me 100,000 people who get it like this. Because you see, it's not my worth and it's not for my glory. It works. And I give you what I have, I have experienced, my testimony, and how I got out and how I got over. And the rest of my days, the rest of my life is dedicated to teaching Bible Code 7. I want you to have a book. I want you to go to BibleCode7.com. Get that book. Study the strategy of Code 7 Warfare. Get the understanding of how to use it. Use it and get the blessings from it. Unlock yourself. Unlock your mind. Unlock your spirit. Unlock your potential through Bible Code 7. May the Lord bless you tonight. May the Lord keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. But now until Jesus returns, have yourself a powerfully outstanding, victorious night. God.